Well, praise God. Oh, it's so good to see you, Brother Dees. Just so good. You know, uh, you meet a lot of people over the years. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. Long time. I held my first revival when I was 18 years old. And, and I've been all over the country, met a lot of guys. But every now and then, when the Lord drops people into your life that are just sort of different and special, you just hold on to them. And Tom Dees has been one of those in my life. And I uh, just love him, Sister Dees, and so good to see them tonight. Just a real blessing. And I want to echo also what uh, Brother Dees just said concerning Brother Robinson. I tell you what, I like this guy. And we had a chance to fellowship again today at lunch. Uh, I was a little disappointed, though, in one thing. I wanted to see him finish that meal that he had. I, I really, not, but I'm telling you, that, that's a bunch of food. And I, this is not spiritual at all, but there was a little boy at another table that I haven't got over that yet. There was this little boy that I know he didn't weigh 50 pounds. He couldn't have been, what, seven or eight maybe? And he ordered some kind of a pork nacho platter and they came and set that thing in front of him. And I looked over and I, I punched past her and I said, is that his? Is that, that just his? I mean, it, it was huge. And I'll be if that little kid didn't eat that whole thing. I mean, if there wasn't nothing, he cleaned that thing. I, I mean, his dad, I hope his dad got a good job. He's going to have to buy some groceries for that kid if he can eat that now. I can imagine what he's going to be like in years to come. But anyway, it's been a good day. And I've enjoyed being here with you all again this, this Sunday. And uh, going to be with Pastor and uh, get with him. He mentioned to me he'd like for me to come later in the fall perhaps and come back for revival and, and uh, looked up a date that we might be able to work on. And so it's just looking forward to it. I always enjoy coming here. I really do. And a great, great bunch of people here tonight. Man, all these young people up front, that's a good-looking crew. Well, not all of them, but most of them are good-looking. No, no, good-looking. And, man, I appreciate you all being up here, young people. Brings right back great memories of years and years ago when my wife and I would got acquainted with the church in Mobile when our girls were just teenagers and all those young people set up front like this. And, man, they had a, a great youth group and... Uh, and, and it's, I tell you what's amazing, that's been, oh mercy, that's been a long time ago, 30-something, 35, 36 years ago. And, uh, but do you know what? That youth group still stays in contact, most of them, uh, they, through Facebook and whatever. They still stay, they're married, got kids. Some of them's got grandkids, and they, they just, it's quite a deal. So I just really pray that as these days and years go by that you all will attach relationships and friendships like that and just always stay in touch with one another. One thing I'm convinced of, that the blood of Jesus makes us closer than the blood of kin. I, I believe that with everything inside of me. I have people that it's in the body of Christ that um, I am so, so close to. And uh, uh, I just know is a, a real work of the Spirit. And so God bless you all for being back here tonight. Well, we're going to get started. Uh, 
I don't know where if y'all go out to eat when service is over or whatever y'all plan to do, so I don't want to hinder the important things. Uh, <laughs> but there's some things I'd like to share with you tonight, some things I've been studying on, and I, I hope it makes sense to you. I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Judges. And we'll get there in a second to some scripture. Go to chapter 2 and hold it. Just If you've got your Bibles, just hold it right there. <clears throat> you know anything about the book of Judges? Well, let me just tell you. The book of Judges gives us a history of Israel after the death of Joshua. Okay? Now, I have to tell you, Judges is not a pretty book. It really is not. Because in the book of Judges, we have a series of the children of Israel up and down. Up and down. They are on a spiritual roller coaster through that entire book. It's not pretty. In fact, chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Here's the reason they was having a difficult time. After them or after another generation arose after them and did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. So after Joshua and his crew and his generation died off, here comes on another generation, and this generation just didn't know anything about the Lord. Didn't understand, didn't know what God had done for Israel in the past. Evidently, they weren't very interested in it. And because of this, they would fall into a time of a, a backslid, if you will, experience, and they just their heart would go away from God. But look at verse oh, 16. But nevertheless, aren't you thankful for that word, nevertheless? That lets me know something's coming. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, you got it? Because of their ignorance of God, they'd go over here messing around. And they'd do all things, sorts of things that was displeasing to God. And because of this, their enemy would come in and overwhelm them and steal their stuff, make servants out of them. It was just a horrible time. But nevertheless, aren't you glad for nevertheless? Amen. Nevertheless, God who is merciful, God would send what we call judges during this period, and these judges would be used of God to bring deliverance to the people, and they would go into a time of rest. But just as soon as that judge would die, then they'd go into the same old stuff. Go away from the Lord. And the Lord who is what? Merciful. Anybody know that? How many know that the Lord is merciful? And the Lord is long-suffering? Oh, yes, he is. And aren't you glad? I know nobody here at Oasis has ever had a problem up and down, up and down. All of you came out of the womb prophesying. And I'm sure you've just had a, what, just one hop, skip, and a jump spiritually your whole walk with God. But every now and then, this up and down time has come to people. 
But nevertheless, God has intervened. Now, I want to deal tonight with these judges. All right? Do you know how many of them there were? There were 12 of them. Okay? Now, stay with me for a few moments because I want to try to, I want to get to one of them in particular. But ever heard of Othanel? Well, no big deal. He judged 40 years. His name means force of God. So he must have been a pretty powerful leader. Then came a guy named Ehud. He, uh, he actually judged Israel 80 years. And his name means to unify. So evidently this must have been some kind of gifting that he had. There was Deborah, a woman. She judged Israel 40 years. You know what her name means? Honeybee. How about that? She must have been nice. I don't know what that means, but that's what her name means. Then we got Gideon. Bible has a lot to say about Gideon. It means he was a destroyer. He was a real battler. He could fight. Another fellow by the name of Japheth. His name means expansion. So evidently there was a time of expansion of the kingdom during that time. We even have old Samson listed there. You know, you know Samson, the one that fooled around with, what was the name, Delilah? Do you know, by the way, you know what his name means? You talk about a guy that doesn't live up to, his name means brilliant. <laughs> That's right. But we know all about him. Somebody named Tola, T-O-L-A is in there. He judged 23 years. Don't know much about him other than his name. And the fact that he judged Israel for 23 years, his name simply means crimson or, or scarlet. There was one named Jair, J-A-I-R. 22 years he judged. His name means enlightenment. That's interesting, isn't it? Another one named Ibzad. Seven years he judged. His name was Eruption. I don't know if that means that he had a violent temper or what, but anyway. Uh, another guy was Elon. It means oak, like an oak, strong. Ten years he judged. Another one named Abdon. Means a servant. One left. One that I haven't mentioned. You're going to have to go in chapter 3. Verse 31, and this is the guy I want to deal with tonight. You ready? Here's his name. After him, or that was after Ehud, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of, of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. One verse. Okay, you got it? This, as I was studying the book of Judges, this jumped off me, off the pages to me. All these other people have one thing in common. You can get out a Hebrew uh, dictionary and you can study their names and you can find out 
what their name means. Okay? That's one thing they all have in common. And then all the other 11, the Bible strictly says, and they judged Israel or sat in the position of a judge for so many years. Some six, some 10, some 20, some 40, one as many as 80. Okay? But here's poor old Shamgar. It doesn't, listen, you get out a Hebrew dictionary and you study it. Can I tell you something you'll find out? Here's what you're going to find out. They don't even know the meaning of his name. And nowhere does it say that he actually judged. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So it got my curiosity up. Why is this guy sort of just left out? Everybody, even Deborah, come on. If somebody we hunt down, we find out she's a honey. Well, I don't know if that means she was a honey, but that's her name. Her name means honey bee. All right, we know her name. We know Samson for crying out loud. All the things that he did that were stupid, his name means brilliant. And here we got poor old Shamgar. And I studied, I studied everything I could find. Nobody can find out this except, here's what they found out. His name, Shamgar, actually comes from a root word in the Canaanite tongue. Got it? probably was not even pure blood Israelite. Wasn't ever considered much of anything, evidently. And the Bible doesn't even tell me after his heroics of killing 600 Philistine with an ox goad, it doesn't even tell me that he was a judge. It doesn't tell me anything about him. Now, what in the world does this mean? This is what it talks to me about, and maybe it will to you. I hope it does. I believe it's telling me that this guy who was just really unrecognized, a guy that probably, I, I, there's a reason that his name is not even an Israelite name, but rather a Canaanite name. This man was considered unworthy of any kind of honor. Nobody would have looked to him for leadership. He would have been the last guy in the world chosen for the basketball team or the football team. He was just really much of nothing. But this guy ended up doing something quite extraordinary. So just in case you're here and you have a bad self-image and you're wondering what can I ever do with my life, is there anything that I could ever do to where I could make a difference Let's take a lesson from old Shamgar, shall we? What was it that he did? Well, I know 
what the Bible tells me that he accomplished, but here's the first thing I've got to deal with. What in the world happened to Shamgar? My guess is he simply saw a need. He saw that the people of Israel were being oppressed. He saw that they were being plundered. He saw that they was just being beat up. And he said, that's not right. I want to do something about it. And so as he saw the need, got that, he saw a need. He said, what can I do about it? The first thing you got to do if you're going to make a difference in this world, you got to look around and see if there's a need. And when you see that need, question, what you going to do about it? Do you have a willingness to do something about it? Does that, seeing that need, does it stir up something inside of you? He was just, See, here's what we say. Well, I, I can't do anything. I'm, nobody will recognize me. People don't even count me of nothing. You know, I'm not from a big family. I'm not, I'm not come from, I don't come from social standing. I'm not educated. I don't have all these giftings. I don't have all, I'm just an ordinary guy. I submit to you, Shamgar was exactly that. He was just an ordinary guy. In fact, you do know what he did for a living. Some kind of a farmer. That's right. He had an ox goad. You know what that ox goad was for? To goad the oxen with. Now notice, an ox goad is nothing else except a long pole that's pointed on the end, and when the, when the oxen sort of slow down or won't go forward, you just sort of stick them and get them going. That's all he had. So I'm pretty, I believe I'm pretty safe in saying this guy was not what we consider the highest guy on the limb. He's just a hardworking guy, just an ordinary fellow that would take care of oxen but he saw a need and it generated something in his spirit. And he says, I can, I'm, on, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna do something. Next thing is, after he had this willingness to do something, evidently he looked around and he says, well, what do I have? <laughs> That's an interesting thing right there, isn't it? What do you got, Shamgar? You see these Philistines and their warriors, they're, they're, they're supplied with arms. They've got shields. They've got spears. They've got swords. These fellows have got bows and arrows. They've got all of this equipment. And he says, well, all I have is this ox goat. But evidently it must be pretty stout. Must be pretty strong. Somewhere along the line, this guy says, I'm going to just beat up on somebody. I'm going to see what I can accomplish with this ox goat. I don't know if he speared them, might have speared some of them, clubbed some of them, I don't know. But he killed 600 Philistine with an ox goat. 
What's that tells me? He was willing to use what he had. Everybody still here? What do you have? I don't have nothing. What do you have? You got something. You have something. I don't know where we got the idea that we've got to be summa cum laude or we have to have a big bank account or we have to have a lot of connections or we got to be the most gifted guy in the block. We've got to be the best singer. We've got to be the best of everything before we can do anything for God. I'm not sure where we got that, but we sure didn't get it out of the Scripture. Because I know one thing, I see some things in the Bible. When the children of Israel was, was running and they was afraid, now notice, God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? All I have is a rod. Well, that's not much. That's not much. And if you'll notice your Bible closely, you'll find out that it was called the rod of Moses. But then when he started stretching forth that rod and using what he had in his hand, if you'll notice your scripture closely, you'll end up calling it the rod of God. Oh, come on. You got that? It was the, his rod until he started using it for God. And then that very thing that seemed so insignificant now becomes so powerful. What do you have in your hand? You got something? You have something in your life. You have something that you can do. You have something at your disposal. What about the lady that was uh, going to make a cake, had just enough meal to make a cake, had a little oil. She was going to make her cake for her and her son. They going to eat it and they're going to die because famine was in the land. And you remember the prophet came through and said, make me a cake first. That sounded horrible, didn't it? That's all I have. But evidently she realized that this was an opportunity. She had something in her hand. And when she made it, made the cake, presented it to the prophet, the Bible said throughout that whole famine that took place, there was always meal in her barrel. There was always oil in the cruise. Her and her son had everything they would ever need while ever pe other people were starving. What do you got in your hand? What do you have? What about the lady that was so far in debt? Her husband was dead. She's got some boys. She can't pay her bills. They're going to come, take her sons, sell them as slaves in order to pay off her bills. The prophet comes by and says, hey, what do you have in your house? What do you have? She said, all, I, all, I, all I've got is just a little bit of oil, a little pot of oil, that's all i got. What a great story. Hey, do we, we believe these things or don't we? The, the prophet said, tell your boys to go out and gather all the vessels they can find. Get all the pots, get all the stuff that they can find and bring them back here. 
And when they brought back all these vessels, the prophets said, just start pouring. Just start filling them up. Start filling them up. What'd she have? All she had was that one pot of oil, but she was using it in obedience. And she was using it. Filled up all those vessels. They went and took all those vessels of oil, sold it, was able to pay off the bills, have money left over. It's amazing, isn't it? What do you have in your hand? What about all in the New Testament? That, that great story about feeding the 5,000. You ever read that whole thing closely? It's, real, it's quite interesting because Jesus said, feed the people. One of his disciples said, can't be done. Then somebody said, well, here's a boy here. It's got some few fish and a few loaves of bread. One of the other disciples said, well, that's not enough. Well, if that's not church people, I'll put in with you. Oh, come on. Yeah. Can't do it. Can't be done. But we believe that God can do all things. <laughs> oh, come on. I've been around this thing forever. It just kills me. I've been born and raised in church, all right? I've told you about my home church. Old line Pentecostal church. I mean, we'd knock you down if we told you, if you tried to tell us we didn't believe in miracles. Well, brother, God can do anything. I'm telling you, God can do anything. And then I can remember our poor old pastors back home. Dear God, I know every one of them had to go to heaven just putting up with my people. Amen. But, uh, by the time one of them pastors want to do something, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. And then if he'd say, well, we, we do have this, well, that's not enough. That's not enough. And then the next time we had testimony meeting, oh, dear God. Did I ever tell you I hated testimony meetings? Did I, did I ever, have I mentioned that here? I hated testimony meetings. I hated them. It was every Wednesday night. Oh, dear God, I hated those things. They did the same thing. Now, you got to remember, I'm from a relation church. And 95% of the people that's going to be testifying, I'm blood related to. And they got up looking like death and sounding like death and trying to make me believe that God can do all things. I always talk about one poor aunt of mine, my great aunt, oh dear Lord. Every Wednesday night, Aunt Effie would get up, and it was the same stuff. It's been 70 years ago, and I can still remember it. As a kid, I can remember this. She'd get up in a little trembly voice, and she'd say, well, you all know that I'm a widow. You think? I mean, we were, yeah, we went to the funeral. Dear God, you told us this last week. Well, you know, I live by myself. Nobody come by to visit me. That meant the preacher didn't come by. So we got to throw a jab at him. 
And then before she'd sit down, and she'd say, Oh, but I'm sanctified. And I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And since the day I found Jesus, I've never even thought about sin. Well, see, by the time I got to be about 15 years old, I've heard this thing all my life. And she's telling me that she's never even thought about sin. Well, see, I'm about 15, and trust me, I'd been thinking. <laughs> oh, come on. It had crossed my mind, trust me. But I'd hear that. And these people try to convince me that God could do anything. Now, what do you got in your hand? Well, we just, it's just us. I'm just, I'm just, uh, don't even know what my name means. Don't not even sure if I'm an Israelite or not. I might be half and half. I don't know what I am. I guess I just will never be accepted anywhere. Oh, Shamgar said, "Oh, I got this ox goat, and I'm going to start stabbing. I'm going to start swinging. I'm going to start doing because there's a need." And these Israelites shouldn't be treated this way. There needs to be some kind of victory going on here somewhere, and I'm going to see what I can do about it. So he saw a need. He had a willingness to do something. He used what was in his hand. And you know what I've noticed? What really got my attention was this. Evidently, he just must have went back to farming. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say he judged. I'm, I'm sure nobody gave him a parade. No one gave him a medal. No one called him something great. He's not listed in Hebrews 11 where we have those great Hebrews of faith. He's not mentioned anywhere else. One verse in the Bible is all we got for poor old Shamgar. He did his thing. He was used of God. And he, evidently, he just stayed true to who he was. Just stayed true to who he was. I'm not so sure that there isn't some great lessons for us to Take a look at here. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know your background. But I've known some people in my life, and some of them, I'm going to mention a couple, you might know them. You ever heard of a guy named Bill Wilson? When I pastored in Mobile from 1988 to 1994, <clears throat> I heard that Bill Wilson was coming to Mobile. And Bill Wilson has an unbelievable ministry in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he has what we would call Sunday school seven days a week. Has about 4,000 kids in there every day. 
It's a big operation, huge operation. So I, I wanted to meet the guy. So I called and I said, hey, Brother Wilson, I heard you're coming to Mobile. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, listen, I, 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 I pastor a church here in Mobile, and I'm just wondering if while you're here in Mobile, if I could get you for a service. He said, sure. Now, here he is. Big, big ministry. You see him on TV. And, and, and he's been around for years. Everybody knows about him. He's been on presidents, uh, staffs, and councils. I know when George Bush the first was in the presidency, he had him doing something. I mean, he's, he's really well known. But that wasn't always that way. And if you ever meet Bill Wilson, you're going to be sadly disappointed. So I went to the airport to pick him up. And he comes off the airplane, and he's got jeans on and sneakers and a pullover sweater. He's got long, stringy hair about down to here. He's about six foot one, I guess. He might weigh 130 pounds. I got one leg bigger than his whole body. I mean, the guy, the guy is a bone, all right? He got an old raspy voice. Got a scar down here where he had somebody hit him in the head with a brick while he was working there in New York in that real rough area of town. They left him for dead. Now, he ministered at my church. Oh, I got to tell you, his suitcase that he carried, it looked like one of those metal suitcases that the dope pushers carry all their stuff in. That's what it looked like. I thought, man, oh, man. Now, on Sunday morning, he had a, a, some type of a, a jacket on, and it was, all right, it was fine, great. But I won't just tell you, he looks like death. There's not a handsome thing about him. His voice is, oh, he's just wore it out over the years. There is nothing about him that you'd say, you know what, that guy looks like somebody and knows he looks like a nothing. And can I tell you what? That's what he came from. When he was a young boy, about eight or nine years old, his dad was, had left them. He had his mother. They lived down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And his mother and him was at a bus stop, and said to, she said to him, now wait right here and I'll be right back. And she left. And the thing is, she never came back. She left him on a street corner. And there happened to be a man that kept going by throughout the day and kept seeing this little boy standing on the street corner. Kept seeing this little boy standing on the street corner and finally went to him and said, Son, what's going on? And he said, Well, my mother told me to stay here and uh, I'm just waiting. And the man said, Son, why don't you come with me if you will? I live right around here and, and we'll see what we can find out. Well, come to find out she just disappeared. I don't know if she left town. He's never seen her again, right? And Bill Wilson's as old as I am right now. That's a long time ago. He was literally raised by a, a church called Suncoast Cathedral. 
in St. Petersburg, Florida. They bought him clothes. They sent him to youth camp. He became a Christian. Yeah. He went to Bible school at Southeastern. Was a lousy student. Pitiful. You got to hear him tell this story. Because since he became so popular and so well known, they, they made him alumnus of the year. They gave him a plaque a few years ago. Alumnus of the year. And you got to hear him say it. He said, folks, I got out here on a D, on a D average. He said, only in the assemblies of God could a guy, could a guy with a D average get to be alumnus of the year. <laughs> a nothing. You know what happened? Somewhere on the line, he heard about New York City and all the horrible things that went on in this area in Brooklyn. And he went to the roughest, the toughest, the most depraved place around. And he's been there for, what, 40 years? Probably 40 years. Maybe longer by now. And you know why he went? If you ask him, he'll tell you this. If you say to him, oh, brother, did you hear a calling from God? His answer was, I saw a need. I saw a need. No talents, no great giftings, no financial backing, not anything. But now we see what he's accomplished in all these years. You need to go back yonder to when there was a young guy with nothing. But he saw a need and he said, I'm willing to do something, whatever I can do. What about us? Can I tell you, tell you about somebody else I know? I know a guy by the name of Verlin Bagwell. Met him years and years and years ago when I was a young evangelist. Just before Sandra and I ever had kids. I was at this church in Revival, and the parsonage was right next door. And back in those days, the evangelist always stayed with the pastor. And, uh, man, aren't you glad those days are gone, brother? Aren't you glad that you can put me over here? Wouldn't you hate for me moving in your house? Dear Jesus. Anyway, stayed with the pastor. And I'll never forget, I'd get up, I got up one morning and church started on a, our, our revival started on a Sunday. Got up on Monday morning, I went in there to get some coffee in the kitchen and I could see over in the church parking lot and there's an old rattle trap van over there. And I said to the pastor, I said, hey, listen, there's some old van over there. And he said, oh yeah, he said, that's, that's Brother Verlin. I said, oh. He said, yeah. He was in church last night. Said he comes by himself. Said his wife's not a Christian. She won't come to church. But he's here every morning at 7 o'clock and prays to 8. Okay? 7 to 8. Does it every day and then goes to work. And he's an exterminator. Crawls under houses all day long. Killing spiders and whatever. That's all he does. Work for somebody else. 
That revival went for two weeks and he's there every night all by himself. It's amazing. And then that guy's there every morning at the church at 7 o'clock. I, I, I saw him every morning. So the next year I went back to that church. 7 o'clock comes, he's there. But I noticed something different on Sunday morning when we started a revival. His wife beside him. She's become a Christian. She loves the Lord too. But he's still doing the same old thing. Same old thing. Going to church, praying, seeking God. Found out that Verlin Bagwell had a very, very limited education. Hardly none whatsoever. Still crawling in their houses. Still a dirty, nasty job. Went back the next year. Something's different. He's still there at 7 o'clock every morning. But out there, he's got a nice, pretty nice looking van. And it says uh, on it that it's Red Mountain Exterminating Company. Verlin Bagwell owner. Not a brand new van, not a big fancy thing, but it's clean, sharp looking. He started his own company. His wife is his bookkeeper because he can't do it. He don't know how to take care of ledgers and things. Still crawling underneath the houses. I'm telling you this story to tell you this. Verlin Bagwell did everything he knew to do for the Lord. You talk about faithful. He was the last word in faithfulness in his support of the church and the support of his pastor. Anything he could do, he would be the first there to do it. The pastor told me about one time they were having a service and Verlin Bagwell borrowed $100 from another man in church so he could give $100. And the man said, I'll just give you $100. And Verlin Bagwell said, no, 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 no. Because then I'm not giving anything. I've got to give and I'll pay you right back as soon as I can. That's the kind of guy he was. I want to give. I want to be involved. I want to do something. He was always helping the young people. He was always just doing anything he could. Volunteer for anything. So then, I got away from all of that. I had my situation. I was out of the ministry for 10 years. And then years later, I was up there on North Alabama preaching. And the, where I was at, they put my name out on the sign saying Richard Bolte Evangelist. Well, there was a time that everybody in that denomination that I was raised in, they all knew that name. And uh, lo and behold, that night, it, it wasn't part of that denomination anymore, but all those people from my, that knew me way back when, trust me, the news spread. And it had been probably 20 years. But man, they were there. And so after service that night, they said, Brother Boldy, we're, we're in such, such a church. We remember when you held a revival. And, oh, Brother Boldy, it's good to see you. Glad you're back in the ministry. That's very, very kind. I'm telling you that to tell you this. Got out. They said, let's go out. Can we go out for fellowship tonight after church? We just want to talk with you. And they were so quite kind and and all of a sudden, as we were talking, I thought about the Verlin. And I said, hey, years ago, there was a guy named Verlin Bagwell. Well, whatever happened to him? 
And they said, well, Brother Bowley, don't you know? Haven't you heard? I said, no. They said Verlin ended up having a fleet of trucks. He had the largest <laughs> exterminating business in North Alabama. And he ended up selling that thing out to some big conglomerate for millions. The guy is low dead. Yeah. But they said, you know what? Here's what touches me. He's still at the church every morning at 7 o'clock. Verlin Bagwell has built churches all over the world for foreign missions. He has supported things oh, unbelievably. Everybody wants to be him now. But nobody knows and wants to be what he was when he was nothing. And nobody knew his name. A guy that couldn't even take book, take care of his own books. Add and subtract. But he saw a need. And every time he saw a need, he tried to do something about it. And as the years went by, he could satisfy more needs and more needs. I guess what I want to ask is, do I have any Shamgars in this house tonight? I don't know about you, but I know what I am, know where I've come from. I'm, I make no, uh, I don't kid myself, I know what I am. But I know one thing, what little bit I do have and what little bit I can do, by the help and grace of God, I want to do it for the rest of my life when I see a need, I want to do it. I want to take care of it. The greatest things in our life and in our ministry with Sandra and I over the years has been when we saw needs, we tried to fill it and we tried to take care of it. Uh, I, one of them, you all helped us. You remember several years ago I'd been to Vietnam and, uh, and, and I felt, we felt impressed that we were supposed to hide try to buy washers and dryers for this orphanage over in Vietnam. And, and you, I think you all were the first church to give us an offering. You sent it from, your, from Bible school, if I remember correctly. And that was the first bunch of part of the money that came. And we were able to raise several thousand dollars so those people could have uh, washers and dryers over there to take care of those orphans. And, and I had the privilege of going back to that orphanage and seeing those things installed. Not much, but I could do it. Did what I could. It's the greatest thing in my life. I love doing things like that. Now, here I am, up in years, still out preaching. God still gives me the ability to go. And pastors are kind enough to invite me. And there's still people that we support. Oh, no, we haven't stopped. And through all this thing with, with Sandra and the sickness... And finally her passing, one thing that she and I agreed on before she passed, that the ministry, Mercy and Grace Ministries, was not going to quit. There's, there's missionaries that still get money from us every month. There's still people that we support and take care of. Why? Because we got a little, don't have a, I wish I had a bunch. You know, really, I do. I just, I'm still trying to figure out a way how to win that lottery without buying a ticket. I'm too holy, I told you one time before. I'm too holy to buy a ticket. But I'm still looking on the ground. 
when I, when I gas up my car, just in case somebody loses one. I'm going to grab that thing, and I might have that winner just fell, fell on the ground. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I don't have the lottery, but God does put things in my hands. And we do pass them on to people in Cambodia, to people all over the country, inner city ministries, places outside of the country. Why? All I got is an ox goad, but I'm going to use that thing by the help and grace of God. What about you here at Oasis? Well, Brother Boldy, we're just here in a small town. Really? Really? Can I tell you about a place that, oh, I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. You know, he, he lived out in Oklahoma. And so he and I was talking. And I said, where'd you live at in Oklahoma? And he said, Lawton. I said, really? I've flown into Lawton before. I said, you know where Comanche's at? And he said, yeah, I know where Comanche's at. He said, I got a real good friend who lives in Comanche. I said, well, you, you either know where it's at or you're lost, one or the other. I mean, it's just a little old small town. But there's a church I'm going to be going to in two weeks that I've been going to now for several years, every year. There's a town called Duncan, which is a good-sized town, nice-sized town. And then there's little old Comanche, which it's a small, small town. I mean, uh, Citronelle looks like New York City compared to Comanche. It's just, it's just not there. It's just small. In fact, when I stay in the hotel there, when I go to preach, I have to stay in Duncan. And uh, so I'll never forget my first time there. The pastor had invited me to come. Somebody had given him a copy of my testimony and he had heard it and he wanted me to come and give the testimony. So I flew out there that time and they rented me a car at the airport. So they told me to drive to Duncan and so I got to Duncan and I found the hotel and I said to the little girl at the desk, I said, listen, hon, I said, I'm supposed to be preaching at a church called Ray of Hope and uh, I don't know where it's at. He said it's on a highway somewhere. And she said, oh, you can't miss it. She said, it's between here. You just head south towards Comanche. You won't go into Comanche. But she said, on your right, you won't miss it. Next morning, I was going. <laughs> because I promised the Lord when I got back in the ministry, I'd never ask a man how big his church was, and we'd never talk money. Just never, don't do it. I will not do it. And so I didn't know if he had 50 people or what he had. So here I am the next morning going down there, and sure enough, I look over here to my right, and there is this huge church. I mean, it's gorgeous. And I saw the sign. Well, it's, that's where I'm supposed to be at. So I go up in there, and now you're talking about a church. It must be at least a $4 million building. Everything's first class. They run over 1,000 people. And they're not even in a town. Hello? Everybody wants that church. Oh, man, it's something great. And nobody wants to hear about how it started in Comanche in a chicken coop. Actually cleaned out a chicken, big old chicken house. And that's where the church first began. You know what they had? 
an opportunity. They saw a need. And the pastor of that church shared something with me. He's been there for 20-something years. His uncle pastor, pastored it before him. But he told me, he said, when I became the pastor, I said this to the Lord. Lord, help us to influence the influencers. And I am telling you, God has granted that prayer. They have the mayor of Duncan as a member. They have the county judges as mayors. They have the school superintendents as mayor as members. They have all, I mean the people, they have doctors, they have lawyers. They have people from all walks of life. They have every other kind of person that you can think of there. And it all started when somebody said we want to do something. There's a need. We want to fill that need. So I'm challenging all of us. What do you have? You see a need? I think there's a real need in Citronelle for a church that really does present the truth of Jesus Christ. And I'm not putting anybody down. Please don't miss them. But I really believe that there is a need in this town for a church that represents the kingdom of God, really represents the kingdom of God in a way that it should be represented. And I believe God's looking for you and I to say, here I am. What can I do? What do I have in my hand? Let's stand. <clears throat> Hallelujah. You know what for I'd like for us to do? I love this. I've, I love doing this with you folks. And we've done it for years. Can we just gather around the front? Now, don't, don't anybody sit at the table. That's, that's for a special something the pastor's working on here. He's got a sermon going. But no, seriously, let's just come on up. Let's come around the front.